I love worship music with great theology. Don't you love that song we just sang together? Your name is, your name's power, your name's healing, your name's life. Isn't that beautiful? I want you guys give it one more time, give it up for our, our worship team. It's incredible. Thank you guys so much for preparing us. Good news. In just a few weeks, in just a few weeks, two weeks to be exact, Dr. Ben Young will be back in his pulpit. He has been away. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's great. He, he's, uh, he's been away, not away, but away from the service. He's been preaching in our 930 service here at Woodway, 11 o'clock at West. He'll be back in the parade of pastors that has been in 1111 will be over. But for the next two weeks, you're stuck with me. So, oh, you're kind. Psalms 19, if you would, go ahead and find it with me. Chapter 19 of the book of Psalms. Go ahead and put your finger on verse 1. So we're going to spend some time together today. Um, every summer, for the past, I don't know, six, seven summers, we as a family go away to Southern California for 10 days, two weeks, something like that, to Orange County. And we don't do anything. I mean, people are like, what do you do for vacation? We go on vacation, we do nothing. We eat ice cream, we sleep in, we make great meals, we lay by the pool, and then we just hit repeat, and we do it over and over and over again. That's kind of our rhythm. Uh, over the last handful of years, our family, more specifically, my wife, has developed this interest in hunting for shells on the beach. We have any other fellow shell hunters in the room? Go ahead and put your hand up. Be, be proud. Now yeah, we've got a couple of you in the room, all right? My wife would like to meet you right down here after the service. Exchange phone numbers. Now she's a shell hunter. As a matter of fact, I've got a picture up on the screen from her adventures this year. She's shaking her head because she had no idea I was gonna show that picture this morning. I did not ask her permission. It's my birthday, I can do what I want to do, all right? <laughs> I'm kidding. So that's her. What you can't see is, is if you back up, if, if this picture were blown out just a little bit more, you could see that there's caution tape all around this area under the cliffs because the cliffs, the wall of the cliff, you're 50 feet of cliff, there's rocks, and they don't want you there. So we have to get up at the crack of dawn every day so we beat the lifeguards out so that we can go into the area where you're not supposed to be. So my wife is a criminal. I uh, just want you guys to know. She's wanted in, or in Orange County for unlawful hunting of shells, all right? So we developed this, this interest, and we do. We, my wife, she knows the low tide schedule. We get there and she's like, okay, next tomorrow, first day on vacation, low tides at 434 you know, or 5.15 or whatever, 6.30. So we've got to be out there. And then this, this evening, it's going to be, you know, she knows the low tide schedule. And, and we go out and we hunt. But we're hunting for one thing in particular. Uh, there's really two things. Sea glass, which is cool. But more, more importantly, conch shells. All right? Conch shells. You know what a conch shell? i got a picture of a conch shell just to make sure we're all on the same page. That's a conch shell. Now, that's not the conch shell that we, that we have found, all right? That's not our, 
That's not our conch shell. That's just something from Google, okay? So I brought, I brought with me this morning the conch shell that we found. It's the prize of our shell hunting from the summer of 2023. 37 hours of hunting on the beach. This is the conch shell that we found this year. Now, if the camera can get a close-up of that, that's it. That's the biggest one we found. So, conch shells are cool, though. Does anyone know what the urban legend of a conch shell is? What's the urban legend, right? You can hold it up to your ear, and what do you, what do you hear? You're supposed to hear the ocean, right? Now, I grew up in Oklahoma. I didn't know what an ocean was. I didn't know what a beach was. I never saw those things. My mom came home one time. She'd been to the Oregon coast, and she brought back a conch shell, and she told me, hey, if you hold it to you, you can hear the ocean. Up until I started writing this message, I thought that that was still true. I didn't know, I didn't know that that was some supernatural, divine thing. But just so we're on the, you, that's not real. That's not true. What it is, it's the shape of the shell, right? And it captures the ambient noise around you. And if this conch shell were, were a little bit bigger, it would kind of have that same, produce that same sound. But it's not really the sound of the ocean. But what if, what if created things? What if shells and trees and rocks and stars could really speak? What if, what if creation had something to say? What, what would it say? What would it sound like? What would creation communicate to us? That's the text today. Psalm 19, that's, that's our text. Read it with me. Psalm 19, we're gonna be in verses one through six. It says this. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Verse six, its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing, nothing hidden from its heat. Creation communicates a message. That's our conversation today. Let's pray before we begin to break down this portion of Scripture. Father, as we study your word, as we seek to apply it to our lives, Father, help us to understand it clearly. And Father, I pray for this time that you would use your truth to touch hearts and to change lives. It's not about me. Help me to get out of the way. It's about you and your truth, Father. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian thinker, theologian, C.S. Lewis said this about this chapter, Psalm 19. He said, Psalm 19 is the greatest poem in all of Psalm. 
It's the greatest poem in the whole book of Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in all of the world. This portion of scripture, one of the greatest lyrics in all of the world. David, King David, when he wrote this, he wrote it as a song. And this would have been sung. This is something that would have been sung when the Israelites came together for worship. This would have been something that they perhaps would have sang together. So a little bit of context really quick before we get into this. A little bit of context because that's important. This chapter of Psalm 19, it's broken into two parts, verses 1 through 6 and verses 7 through 14. Both of those chunks of Scripture speak to one really important thing, how God communicates to us. How God communicates to us. Verses 1 through 6, verses 1 through 6 is, is something we call general revelation, all right? General revelation. It's, it's God's self-declosure through the created world, through nature. It's how God reveals himself to us through nature. Verses 7 through 14, it's special revelation. Special. It's God's self-declosure of himself through his written word. So Psalm 19 tells us that God speaks, and he speaks through the stars, and he speaks through the scriptures. Our conversation today is how God speaks to us through the stars. John Calvin, the famous Christian thinker, theologian, he said this, the reason God created us to walk on two feet instead of going around on all fours like an animal is precisely that so we can stand tall, we can lift our heads, and we can see the stars above. Do you like that? God gave us two feet so we could stand tall. We can lift our heads. We can see the stars. We can see creation. We get to take it all in. There's little doubt that when David wrote this chapter, he was looking up. He was looking up. He was taking it all in. He was looking at the universe, looking at the stars. What did David observe? What did he observe? Number one, look in verses one and two. The first thing that David observed in the stars above was a message of God's glory. A message of God's glory. Verses one and two, it's a message of God's glory. Look at verse one. He says, the heavens are telling the glory of God. The heavens are telling the glory. He, he uses the word heavens. And that's referring to the sun, the, the stars, the moon. The, it's the sky above. And David picks this macro part of creation, I think, for a very sp specific reason. The, the, the mountains are beautiful. Um, beaches are beautiful. There are different aspects of creation that do indeed declare the glory of God. They point to how powerful he is. But, not all, but those things can't be seen by all of mankind. I couldn't see the beach from my front porch in Harrow, Oklahoma, but I could look up at night and so I could see the stars. And so that David says that the heavens declare the glory of God. He says the details, he's pointing to the, how, how incredible all these aspects of creation are, how they work together. He says, the heavens declare God's glory. And then he says this, look at, look at 
the latter part of verse one. He says, day to day they pour forth speech. He says, creation's not ceasing in communicating the glory of God. There's not a moment in eternity past. It's not gonna be a moment in the future into all of eternity where creation stops or ceases communicating what? That God gets the glory. He says the expanse, he uses that word expanse. It means all of creation. And he says the work of his hands. All of it is the work of his hands. He says God is the author, he's the creator, he's the sustainer of it all. Let's make no mistake about it. He and he alone gets the glory. When I was in the third grade, we had a science fair and it was the, uh, a challenge to all of the third grade to make, create a, a rocket ship, all right? So as a third grade boy, I was really excited about creating this rocket ship. And so I remember gathering up red solo cups, all right? Um, red solo cups and, and maybe some some stickers that were left over from one of my G.I. Joe planes or toys and like the American flag and stuff. And everyone's favorite craft necessity, popsicle sticks, all right? So I had red solo cups, these stickers, popsicle sticks, and a hot glue gun. And had this little red rocket ship, brought it to my science fair. Standing before you today is the first place winner of third grade science fair, rocket ship, your very own rocket man right here. Here's, here's the problem, and this is the first time I've ever confessed this in public. I didn't build that rocket ship. <laughs> My father built the rocket ship. Dad's in the room. I remember, it's, we sat down, and I don't know what happened in the process, I remember sitting at the table in our kitchen. I don't know if it was he didn't trust me with the hot glue gun. I don't remember what it was, but somewhere in the early on in the process of us doing this together, he took over and he built the rocket ship. He was, I think when I came home with the ribbon, I think he was more excited and rightfully so than I was. He was like, yes. Creation, creation's not confused about who created it. Let me say it again. Creation's not confused about who created it. We live in a world today where everyone's seeking to redefine and point to and say, hey, this is because of it. Listen, creation from the beginning of time has been screaming what? All glory belongs to God. He is the creator, he's the sustainer, he holds it all in his hands and he gets the glory. We are, his, we are his workmanship. We're his workmanship. David said, God gets the glory. Look in verse two. What's the point? What's the point of all this? What's the point of this message that creation has? Verse two, it says, there's a great phrase. It says, knowledge revealed. Knowledge revealed. Creation does not reveal everything we need to know about God. And once again, this is general revelation. But it does tell us some very important and very specific things that are essential. Look at what Paul said. Romans chapter one, 
verse 20, he said this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without an excuse. Paul knew it and Paul spoke to it in the New Testament. He said, hey, creation's got a message. It's telling everyone and everyone that will listen to everything, it's echoing into all the world that God created us. We are his workmanship. And we're without an excuse. God reveals himself to us. The famous German physicist Albert Einstein, perhaps the greatest scientist in the last, goodness, 100 years, 200 years or so for sure, he was once asked if he was a Christian. And he replied, no, I'm not. They said, well, you're an atheist. And Einstein said, no, I'm not an atheist. And listen to what Einstein said. He said, I'm not an atheist. The problem involved is too vast for our limited minds. We are in the position of a little child entering a huge library filled with books in many languages. The child knows that someone must have written those books. The child does not know how. The child does not understand the languages in which they are written. The child dimly suspects a mysterious order in the arrangement of the books, but does not know what it is. That is, or that, it seems to me, Einstein said, is the attitude of even the most intelligent human being toward God. We see the universe marvelously arranged in obeying certain laws, but only dimly understand these laws. Creation has a message, and it shouts that God is the one who created it all, and he's the one who holds it all together. That's the first thing that David observed when he looked up to the stars. The second thing that he saw, verses three and Verses three and four is this. David saw a message for everyone everywhere. Verses three and four, a message for everyone everywhere. Verse three, he says this. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. And that's a little tricky. What's he saying here? What does that mean? There, there are no speech, there's no words. Their voice is not heard. What, what David's saying is that there is a universal language that God uses through creation. It's a testimony that creation shouts and it transcends individual language. He's saying, hey, God, God is speaking in a way that breaks down and, and, and transcends language barriers. It, it goes beyond our comprehension. It goes, every ear, everyone can hear this message. It's for everyone, every corner of the earth. And that's good news for us because it reminds us that there's not a person on the planet. There's not a soul. There's not a human being that's too far away from God, that's so secluded or so beyond the reach of this most basic message that there is a God. It's for everyone. And then he, David says, it's everywhere. Look what it says in verse four. He says, their voice goes out into all the earth their words to the ends of the world. In other words, it's everywhere. The voice of creation goes out into all the earth. 
the words to the end of the world. There's no place you can go in all the earth where you're not confronted with God's testimony of himself in creation. There's no corner of creation. There's no corner of creation so dark that the truth of God is not shining its light. That's good news. David said this message is for everyone, everywhere. The last thing that we see in this chunk of text that David saw, the third thing, is a message of God's loving kindness and grace, verses five and six. David looked up and he said, God is loving, he's kind, and he's gracious. And he talks about the sun. And he starts off in verse five, and he uses these two similes to describe the sun. He talks about a groom or a bridegroom. He says, a bridegroom comes out or emerges from his chamber on his wedding day. Think back to, if you can, gentlemen, to your wedding day. And I was so excited. My wife and I had been dating and engaged at that particular time for a total of six years. That's how long it took me to convince her, six years. And I was so excited, I woke up that day, I didn't hit snooze, I bounced out of bed, smile on my face, and it lasted all the way to the altar. I took pride and purpose in everything I did that day. Labored over the way that my tux looked and my shoes were polished. There was purpose in everything I did. David says the sun has purpose. It's like a groom coming out of his chamber. It's excited, it's filled with joy. So the sun reminds us of that purpose and that joy that God has for all of his creation. Then he says, the sun's like a, a champion, right? A champion running a race. And I like this. He says, the champion runs with power and strength. And it, and it runs the whole course. The sun rises each day. It makes its way across all the heavens. It never falters. It never tires. It runs the entire circuit. It's seen by all who live on earth every morning, every day, without fail. The sun never tires. It never ceases. It never falters. And God hangs this sun over all of his creation for all to see. And David said, it reminds me of our God. It reminds me that he never falters. He never tires. He, he never grows weary. And every day, he reminds us it's a new day. And his plan and his purpose is ever present in our life. And then verse six, and we're gonna wrap up. Look at what it says. Verse six, David says, nothing, nothing is hidden from its heat. Nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun. What does he mean by that? The sun serves everyone on earth. Even on the cloudiest day, the darkest, the most dreary day, the sun rises and sheds light 
brings warmth upon the whole earth and everything and everyone who inhabits it. The sun testifies that our God is good, steadfast, gracious, and kind. He gives warmth and light to everyone, without exception, without prejudice. Nothing is hidden from its heat. We were able to take a lot of great pictures on our vacation. I want to show you my favorite picture of them all. Beautiful sunset over the Pacific. My wife and I were inside the house. My wife quickly grabbed her camera and took this picture. My sweet little eight-year-old daughter is out there on the balcony alone. And that was her response. Awe. Awe. Blown away, captivated, in awe of what? God's creation. How do we respond? How do we respond to this gospel in the stars? As Christ's followers, as Christ's followers, I would hope our response would be just like David's. God, you get the glory. You get the glory. We don't, we don't deify creation. Creation's not glorious. God is glorious. And we give thanks and we give praise and we give adoration. We're reminded of what? His goodness, his grace, and his love. Albert Einstein missed it. Most people who know about his life, written about his life, would tell you that for all intents and purposes, and, and we could be wrong and pray to God that we are, that Albert Einstein was not a Christ follower when he left this, this earth. He missed it. We heard his words. He knew that creation had a creator. And he was enamored by it. He was, you can hear in those words, he was enamored by it. But his response was not right. His response was not right. That picture of my daughter there on the balcony reminds me of, of something really important. One, we, we are but a speck in the cosmos. You know, we, we know more and more about, and as we discover, we understand how, how vast the universe is. And we're but a speck. But God concerns himself with us. He knows our name. He says he knits us together in our, in our mother's womb. That we are his creation. He, he numbers the, the hairs on our head. 
and that he desires to, for us to know him intimately, that this all creative, all, all powerful God who hung the stars in the sky and spoke light into existence and brought life into creation, that he concerns himself with us. but it's how we respond that matters. The awe of it all, this all-powerful God wants us to know him intimately so that we can participate in the plan and the purpose, listen to this, that he has created for us. He's created it for us, individually, each one of us, custom created plan for our lives.